And welcome to the News Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. And with me today, we have a full strength lineup. We have Mr. Martin Theobald. They see me trolling, <laughs> hating. It's going to be a, a theme I can see running through. The, <laughs> um, and the man himself, Mr. Cherry, Terry Chapandama. Cherry pod- Tapandama. Yeah, the podcast killer. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the Mr. Don't Buy Fucking Followers and shit. Um, what, what was I going to say? Shout out to Box Hard Podcast. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Box Hard. You, did you actually listen to any of the episodes? Nah, did I? Oh, Liverpool just scored. 1 0. Let's fucking, see. And it's just Chamberlain. Just to make, just, give me an idea when we're recording yeah, this. Yeah, just to make it how current. professional that's we a, are. That's yeah. the sort of thing that would happen on Football Manager. You'd be like, Chamberlain will never score against C. He's too <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> so when Mr. Box Hard Podcast says that he's taking over amateur podcasting, yeah, I mean, to be fair, we're watching a football match while doing it. Yeah. So he's got every... <laughs> well, <laughs> We've opened the door. We're so. pretty amateur for that very reason. <laughs> so I don't know about that. But we paid our subscription You know what? Oxlade never did that for Arsenal. What a wanker. <laughs> it's what a wanker. <laughs> Look at him. Shooting. He could have done that ball. Shooting before, on eh? target. Like, well, where, where the hell did he learn that? That is only once a season he gets one of those. So what are we doing? Podcasting. Welcome oh, to well. the Nose Boys Podcast. <laughs> but, but honestly, so did anyone listen to has anyone listened to anything on that Boxside podcast? No, as soon as I found out he supports Joe Fournier, eh? like well, do you know what the thing is irrelevant? Like, honestly, he was talking like he had a <laughs> dick in his mouth, like <laughs> so when I saw the I'm like, mate, either spit or swallow. <laughs> but yeah, I just woke up so one many morning. Things wrong with woke up one morning, <laughs> I get this start. geezer like, oh yeah, your your comments about Joe Fournier, eh? like he hasn't failed a drugs test or whatever. He's, oh, that numpty. It, it yeah. wasn't in the Dominican Republic. It was in America. So I, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, turns out he makes love to Joe Fournier or something. I don't know. I bet he doesn't even know Joe Fournier. I bet he's never seen him. He yeah, had a dick in his mouth two minutes ago. He just phoned him. <laughs> well, I, no, he, he had a dick in his mouth. I don't know who it was. <laughs> the, the, the saddest bit of that was when he made up a false Anthony Yard account. And, and, print, and show, remember, and there's a screen game of this conversation. And he ends the conversation by saying, I need to spar you, bro. And I was like, right. Oh, yeah, because that's what you say to a friend, right? Who's a professional boxer and a knockout artist. I need to spar you. I don't know, that dude. He might be legitimately all right, but whatever. Like, Fuck him. Well, yeah. he's ped- he peddles lies and tries to... Well, actually, shit, he listens to us. <laughs> oh, well, no, he consider yourself very seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Have we paid him our subscription yet for running amateur podcasting? Ooh. This was his claim. What? He said, I run amateur podcasting. Oh, yeah. right, he said okay. he's number one. He's yeah. interviewed more world champions. Right. Um, Good to know. It's a shame. I, I, so I didn't know if he was counting WBF as well. Straight. Yeah. Well, he's counting WBF, WKA, IBA. That is enough oxygen given to someone who's clearly a waste of it. So, let's move on. Cutting. I can't stand that sort of shit, mate. It does my head in. Has anyone done anything exciting this weekend? No. Uh, no, I went all across London looking for a PlayStation 4. All sold out. 
Felt like a dick. What a waste of a day. Absolutely freezing as well yesterday. Didn't need that. No. Okay, in that case, why don't we just pull the cord and let Terry talk about Clarissa Shields' fight? So I remember last week I said, yeah, great idea. Get all of these women on a card. You know, chance to see it's a good yardstick for where female boxing is. Friday night. Yeah. It's a night where you're not into traffic. So if people really want to watch it, they have no excuse not to watch it. You, nominally, you had Clarissa Shields, Christina Hammer, and Franchon Cruz, Dessert, whatever a fucking new name is. Now, I, it was a good yardstick, and conceptually, I was with it. So what happens? Christina Hammer has visa issues, so doesn't fight, if I remember correctly. And then you get Clarissa Shields fighting Tory Shonuff, Nelson. It's enough to say the bout was, what was it, 100 to 90 and Clarissa Shields basically had her way with Tori Nelson and did absolutely no damage to Tori Nelson to the point where you're like, I don't think this Clarissa Shields can punch. I don't. I don't think she can punch. But she's got enough of that. And we, I think we said it about Chantelle Cameron. You know, people just love to fight enough. So I put her in the same category. I put Cyborg in without the, the drugs and the clear masculinization that Cyborg's been through. But in that sense of they just want to fight. But the problem is she's not knocking people out. So now that you've seen her fight someone like Tori Nelson, I'm not excited for her to fight anyone. I saw Franchon Cruz fight as well. And that looked embarrassing. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was absolutely embarrassing. So for all the propaganda people put out that we should be supporting women's boxing, absolutely not. We should, we should be supporting good boxing content and good boxing product. And it's not a good product at the moment because... You don't believe for one second there's going to be a clean knockout. Not, not in any of these fights we've seen, even in the mismatches, you're not confident that you're going to see a clean knockout. And really, that's the high point of a boxing bout as far as I'm concerned. Um, is, is that all you have to say about that whole card? Yeah, yeah, it was a massive letdown. Um, don't waste your time watching female boxing anymore, apart from <laughs> Sam Smith. <laughs> wow. By all means, watch Sam Smith, follow Sam Smith, because... She's one. She, I mean, she's definitely looking for the knockout. I mean, that that's that's her background. But generally speaking, you know, we 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 expect more from Clarissa Shields, and it's not there. And the only tragedy is there's no one at her level who can test her. So she's just gonna just she's gonna just romp through the middleweight and super middleweight divisions, and then we won't care anymore. Once she's got all the belts, I'm still on board with Chantel Cameron. He feels it feels uh, like he said that out of hurt more than anything. I am because I I love everything else about Clarissa Shields. I love her awkwardness. I love how brusque she is with people. I love how just she's merciless. Like it's almost like she refuses to change. And and there's something noble in that. You know, in a world of Anthony Joshua, you know, painting pictures of who he really is, but we know the truth. You got Clarissa Shields, who's like, I'm a girl from Flint. I'm struggling to make a living, but Jesus Christ, I'm the best female boxer out there. Okay, um, let's. We, there's nothing else to review, really, is there? Nah, the action hasn't really started yet. It's, uh, let's move. It's quiet. But there is lots of talking points, so thankfully. And First a action, questions. February 2nd, Pons Ford, Sheffield. Dennis Hobson's got a show. Danny Cassius Connor versus Andy Townend. Um, all the heart in the world versus all the power in the world. If it's on free sports, try and catch it. If you're in Sheffield, by all means, head up there. It's probably the first show in earnest. I will try and get there. And then there'll be a long slog down to Okoli Chamberlain after that. <laughs> uh, Amir Khan has signed with Matchroom. 
So give us the details. Yay! On yay! Was this was this uh, in any way a surprise? Well, I heard a while back rumblings that Hearn was the reason that Amir Khan was on I'm a Celeb, um, that he pulled the strings to get him on. It now kind of like I didn't necessarily believe it at the time, but now it would make an awful lot of sense. Um, raises profile, getting known again to a different audience, almost like a second generation of Amir Khan now yeah. over the uh, over the boxing. <laughs> Um, Sorry. Well, I, suppose, I, I suppose the third one because there was also a second generation that saw him on the end of a webcam yeah. masturbating <laughs> so now what? we're on to Amir Khan 3 no, it's the strawberries <laughs> <laughs> that, that image will live long in the memory <laughs> so of, yeah. of, of, of Khan looking like that podcast guy with just all this cream on his mouth <laughs> box, box hard <sighs> so yeah we get Amir Khan coming back um Trolls. <laughs> I'm not sure if I, I think I'm underwhelmed by it. I, I'm nonplussed at the moment. Like you can't announce Amir Khan coming back and then not give us an opponent for yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. That's the biggest problem that I've got. Is that's that, the biggest problem Amir Khan's had being relevant. So then to say he's signed with Eddie Hearn. All oh, right, what are you going to do with him? Don't know. It's exactly yeah. the same as Tyson Fury this week. Frank Warren tweets out, and I think we've got questions. So we won't cover it too much, but uh, Frank Warren tweets out that he's working with Tyson Fury to get his license back. It's like, it's just more talk. And at the moment, Amir Khan is just more talk. We're going to have three fights a year, we're told. We haven't had three fights in like three years from Amir Khan. <laughs> so why would I believe that we're going to get three fights in a year? No, but I was saying to Martin earlier, I'm just waiting for the the revision of history where Bradis Prescott was a slip and actually he did more damage hitting his head on the turnbuckle than the punch did. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Danny Garcia one to be actually a fan through a coin <laughs> at that precise moment. Mm. And that's what knocked him out. And then he would just be like, yeah, Lamont Peterson, drug cheat. And actually, you know? Barry and Hearn that- never said he was finished a year yeah. ago, <laughs> which is exactly what he said. He just got mistaken and thought he might have actually been finished. We're trying to get him that national finish title. <laughs> oh. It's Robert Hellenius. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know what to say about Khan. He's if they'd said, look, Khan's back on the twenty first against Adrian Granados, then I'd I would have sat up and gone, Oh, okay. Statement. Because that lets us know that they're making a push for a world title. At the moment, I sense they're gonna dig up the guy that beat Eggington. That's who they'll have him fight. The guy that beat Eggington. Mahumidi or something. Mamune, yeah. That's who they'll dig up. They'll go, right, you're fighting him. Because he beat Sam Eggington, we can solve that story. And then if you win that, you can fight Frankie Gavin. I think the problem is you only get one opportunity to make a big statement or a big impact. And they've blown it. Like, why tell us that you're signing Amir Khan and give us a fight date up in Liverpool, but not give us an opponent? Uh, Ollie's boxing handle asks, does anyone honestly expect Khan to go straight into a big fight like he says, uh, as he claims he doesn't need warm-ups anymore? What... Even if we, well, who would be, even in a hypothetical situation, a big fight for him to walk straight into? Big? I mean, big is world title. Big is Kel Brook. We're not going to get any of those. I mean, for, for, for a start, he doesn't deserve any of those. Not that Eddie couldn't wangle it in some way, but... <laughs> big this is boxing after all. Yeah, big without any of those would be... I mean, <laughs> what what sort of fight would have you going? Oh, okay then. Is it only Kelbrook? It's Granados. No, right it, now. 
because because you're looking at Granados. Granados because he gives everyone a tough night. Um, Alvarado looks like he's tied up with Pacquiao. Brandon Rios is tied up with Danny Garcia. What's Timothy Bradley doing? Get Retire. him over. Yeah, dig him out of retirement. It's someone of that level where you know you'd want someone like a Jesse Vargas, but I think he's tied up. Adrian Broner would have done, but he's going to cost far too much to come and and sell his record a little bit further. Yeah. Um, but outside of any of the world title holders, those names would have been sufficient. But you know, we're not going to get any of those, I suspect. And if we do, then brilliant. But expect Jeff Horn's name to be mentioned after the 21st is done. Yep. That's what you can expect Hearn to be talking about. Jeff Horn! The money's here! Well, come and get it! <laughs> and they'll pay it as well. You know yeah. they'll pay it. You know, don't go to that other guy there. He don't pay nobody. Well, he's meant to be fighting Terence Crawford, though, isn't he? It's, uh, I don't think they'll get Jeff Horn yet. Yeah. But and then he won't have a belt once Crawford's finished with him anyway. So. <laughs> No one will. Uh, Martin, you alluded to this slightly earlier. John Bailey asks, why is Khan now the number two fighter at Matchroom, but was also told to retire by Barry Hearn 18 months ago? This is, like, for me, I tweeted this out in a week. This is Ibrahimovic joining United last season. This is a case of you've got loads of young lads that are coming up that are going to be good in three years' time. But you need somebody because you've got AJ doing AJ promotions and seemingly going in his own direction a little bit. And then underneath that, you've kind of lost your star power. This is Amir Khan coming in on a three-fight deal that, you know, if this lasts 18 months, two years, this could be perfect for Hearn. It fills that pay-per-view gap after fight number one. If they can get him a big fight number two, then this fills that gap. So same as Ibrahimovic going to United you know he just he kind of does a job for them whilst it allows younger players to come through like a temporary sort of papering of the cracks exactly that yeah Um, so to me that's what Amir Khan coming in is you haven't got him there for five years you've got him there for I say probably at the most two years get three fights out of him the second two being big fights pay-per-view fights that match room will run and then this AJ boxing stuff and then you start to cash in on that um as for barry hearn yeah we said it earlier you know barry hearn if you go and trawl through google just type in like hearn amir khan eddie and barry have said some pretty like horrific things about one another um that's all about amir khan (laughs) and amir khan's done the same back in return you know he said i'll never work the kel brook fight will never get made as long as he's with eddie hearn because i can't stand eddie hearn like they're just they're all a bunch of parasites that will sell their morals for all sucking off each other yeah they'll all just sell their morals for the right amount and that's at the end of the day it's a sport and eddie hearn himself they are they are a bunch of parasites but but it goes back to the matchroom conundrum doesn't it where if you look at matchroom like what what their their last recorded revenue is like 100 million quid profit of about 11 million but I think that's driven by the snooker, the darts, and so forth. What they struggle to do is make money in boxing because Sky basically take a lot of... like. So the big ticket revenue, they have to split with Sky. That's the nature of the deal. That's why Sky love Matchroom because they were able to put them over a barrel like that. So what it means is year on year, they're trying to grow their boxing portfolio because that's, the, that's almost like the poor stepchild in the family. You know, well, actually, sorry, no... <laughs> Match from gymnastics is a poor stepchild in the family. Ping pong. <laughs> All these other things they've got. So, 
AJ kind of seems to be his own kind of cash cow, right? And Matchroom get a royalty off that. So that's not great. What they need is their own franchise. And they've been struggling to build that. They thought Kel Brook would be that. Um, Kel Brook decided he liked messing around in EasyJet and messing around in Tenerife. And so what you end up with is the Hearns going, we need a top tier, as Martin said, we need a top tier of guys we can just put out. So Danny Jacobs serves that purpose right now. Uh, Dimitri Bivol serves that purpose right now. These guys are guys where they can be in fights at a pay-per-view. And then you slot Amir Khan into that equation. So you've got a pretty strong three, which would then balance off Joshua fighting twice a year. So you could get five pay-per-view events on Sky if you play it right. Throw in a bell, you hey. Yeah. And, and those sorts of wild cards, almost like the freak show events as well, <laughs> which essentially is what that is. So... <laughs> When you sign Khan, that's what you're looking for. But it's a high-risk strategy here because if someone else chins Khan, that's the end of that. Like, we're not going to buy into it. We're, we're, we're on the limit now of just going, you're selling us a monkey here because we saw how he got wiped out by Canelo. And the only defense is that Canelo was probably about 15 pounds heavier than he was. But he's been knocked out by smaller men. So can you really give him that either? Uh, he asks, John Bailey goes on to ask, uh, will he be trained by Jamie Moore like his brother is? No, it'll be Freddie Roach still. Uh, not Freddie Virgil. Roach, uh, Virgil Hunter, sorry, I believe. Okay, then. Although, let's not rule out. I mean, Joe Gallagher trains out of a certain gym up in Manchester. Uh, you know, the Gallagher gym. Ah, it's run and owned by Amir Khan. So, you know, maybe we'll see him coming forward with his hands up around his ears. <laughs> um, you know, barking orders. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah maybe maybe Joe G will get his hands on him and take away any boxing skill and Josh Finch asks what can Amir Khan achieve in his comeback with Eddie Hearn so there you go he can, he can win a world title I'm sure because Jeff well I suppose I say that if Terence Crawford gets his hands on all of them is it if he takes out uh, Jeff Horn so who are the I know he'll only take the WBO, wouldn't he? What am so I it's about? Horn. I'm thinking about he's moved up. Um, it's Horn, Thurman's got two, Spencer's got one. Yeah. Um, I don't think he beats any of them. He could beat Horn, maybe. You, you give him the benefit uh, of the doubt. Horn's not a massive puncher. Yeah, but he's got that Australian juice in him, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but Horn struggled with Gary Corcoran. You know, it wasn't life and death, but he couldn't couldn't take him out conclusively. I think Khan would struggle with Corcoran. Yeah. If Corcoran landed on his chin, like he'd knock him out. Yeah, but you can lay that on anyone. That's anyone at all. <laughs> and that's the real fear factor. Even Frankie Gavin's got the one-punch knockout power to take Khan out. It's, uh, um, I, don't, I don't see him necessarily winning world titles, but if I had to take a punt, I don't think they even need to. Like, if you just said Amir Khan's three fights under Matchroom are, I don't know, whatever, Sam Eggington, number one, just throw it away. Fight number two, Adrian Broner, um, up in Sheffield or something. And then fight number three, Kelbrook at Sheffield United Stadium. If those were the three fights, then it's going to... Yes, it'll cost a little bit of money to get the likes of Broner over. But you don't need world titles involved. And you just build that in. And you get that stadium fight for him and Brook. I just don't think people care about Khan Brook anymore. I don't necessarily think they do, but Hearn will make enough casual observers of the sport care about it to sell out a stadium, a small... So so I'm notorious for saying this. If anyone's ever tried to go to a show in Sheffield, the reason it never sells out is you can't stay anywhere in Sheffield. 
is the worst for its size is the worst city card is pretty bad we got a question about that later, but I had a quick look through booking.com today just out of interest. Like, you can't now, since a Joshua Park announcement, get a hotel room in Cardiff for under £400 for two people on the 31st. Yeah. Well, let's address that now then. It was Matt Black. Uh, predictably, the hotel rates have been linked, have been hiked, sorry, to silly prices on the 31st in Cardiff, those that are left. Um, exploiting AJ fans slash casuals has become the norm for big sporting events. And to me, every bit as fucked up as StubHub. Let what, me put it this way, right? Say you. If I was a promoter, I'm not saying this happens, but I'm just saying if I was a promoter and I knew AJ Park was going to Cardiff one day, March 31st, I would cut a deal with every major hotel around that area because you're always looking at additional revenue streams that you can bring in. I would cut a deal with every single hotel around that area. You, you wouldn't even need to do that. You could do it with hotels.com or something like that and tip them off. Yeah, you? and I'd say, you give me, and I'm not saying this happens by any means, I'm really not. I'm just saying if it were me, this is what I would do because I'm an unscrupulous little fuck. <laughs> I would say, give me 50 grand and I'll tell you the date of the next AJ fight and where it's going to be. And then you can start to hike those prices before we announce it. So, I mean, typically, like Grows Bank, when that was announced, we got hotels really cheap up in Manchester for it. Now, if they'd have said, if the Sourlands had said to Booking.com or whatever, this is going to be the date for it, just a heads up, you can double your prices. That's what I would have done. <laughs> and so the fact that if you go onto Booking.com now and you can't find a hotel room on the day of the announcement for under £400 for two people, I'm just saying what I would have done. That's why any hotels in the area for our live show was so expensive. That's right. It's not of London. He tipped, <laughs> <laughs> he tipped him off straight away. So I, he said, uh, "If you if you uh, pay me fourteen pounds sixty, I'll let you." <laughs> but it'd be interesting to know that like, do people go through the same shit with the football? Because I know you can come back with the football, but sometimes people stay over if it's like if it's a Saturday game, like the Champions League, for example. I wonder what sort of uplift they put on that because it seems that boxing fans just get shafted harder than I think else. because with boxing you know that event's going to finish at 11 o'clock you're not going to get out of stadium till 11.30 there are going to be very limited trains going back to wherever you're coming from in the country it's pretty much requisite that you stay over at the place but fans again I just refuse to go if it was me I'm like well hold on I'm getting shafted by StubHub for the ticket because StubHub get tickets directly from Matchroom so I'm getting shafted was I meant to say that? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Did, did, did I just reveal the secret model that they've been working on? Hopefully not. But. Ooh. I'll await the email. <laughs> I dare them. But he just got off one fucking lawsuit, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> Who says you're off it? It's been a year. Frank. You there, Frank? Frank. He's preparing his so next one. Anyone called Andy's a cunt. <laughs> but not that a grassy true, one. Though. Though. <laughs> not a grassy one, completely different species. <laughs> no, but look, so you, you're, you're, you're getting shafted by StubHub for your tickets. You're basically getting So shafted. are we keeping that in? Yeah. Fuck me. You're getting shafted by Hearn right. on, the, on the undercard and stuff like that. And then you're getting shafted for hotels, probably getting shafted for a train ticket. I won't be surprised if you're getting shafted for petrol. 
and and all you guys do is just put your pictures up on Instagram in row three thousand, and you 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 see like the size of a fucking one pence piece, and you're there going, "Great, yeah. I'm at this event. Who I can't see anything." You're going, "Which one's that? the black guy? Which one's the superior one?" <laughs> <laughs> So this is why I say, look, <laughs> if these events are inconvenient to you, just don't bloody go, okay? Don't go and be like that guy that got hit with the 80, 85 grand fine. Just stream <laughs> it, right? Because these promoters are never going to learn to think about you until you make yourself important. So just sack it stop off. Stop thinking about their product. Let's not start thinking about you. Uh, Dillian White fights Lucas Brown. Yeah. Mikey, Good fight. Mikey brilliant. asks for your prediction. I say brilliant, like... It's the right level for both of them. Like Lucas Brown won the WBA regular title um, over in some outer reaches of Eastern Europe. Was it Chagayev he beat? Chagayev, yeah. If I was Donald Trump, I'd probably call it a shithole uh, where he fought for it. Wins that, gets popped for drugs. Um, Dillian Brown gets popped for drugs and goes on to win stuff. So it's like a, a career in reverse for both of them. Um, now, like they're they're both just like people that are going to stand and have a fight, aren't they? Like we're not going to expect anything technical out of this. It's not going to be anything other than two blokes standing and whacking each other. Now, I personally think Lucas Brown will win. I'm picking Lucas Brown all day long for this because we've seen Robert Hellenius stood in front of Dillian White for twelve rounds, was it? And Dillian White couldn't put a dent in him barely puts a dent in the man at all despite the fact that for 10 rounds he didn't throw back Lucas Brown he's a hard hard puncher he's a dreadful boxer dreadful but he can whack and I don't think Dillian White's going to be able to stay with him well I think one of my favourite stories came from 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 Russ uh, Porky's Corner you know whichever name is relevant this week and he was telling me because we're talking about Lucas Brown and his power and he goes Ricky Hatton had Frank Bruno in the gym at like 53 and was hitting the pads. And Ricky Hatton was like, Frank Bruno hits harder than Lucas Brown right now. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that's worrying for Lucas Brown or worrying in case Bruno decides to come back. <laughs> but, but clean up. But I think those two guys are, they're both almost like mythological characters, aren't they? Because if you believe what they say about themselves, they've knocked everyone out, right? But in reality, they haven't really done that. And they're not particularly skillful. They're just hard men who in another world are doing the door somewhere. Yeah. Probably so, in this world, they're doing the door somewhere <laughs> as well. Yeah. So I have no issue watching this fight. Like, I, won't, I won't pay for it, but I'll watch this on TV to watch a slugfest. I'm okay with that. And sometimes that's just what you need as a boxing yeah. fan. Just two people who are like, Do you know what? We're just going to punch each other. I remember there was a UFC fight. I think it was Kimbo Slice, rest in peace. And this other guy, I can't remember, like D500 or something. And they were so shit, they were gassed after two minutes of the first <laughs> round. And and I think like one just fell over out of exhaustion and that was a fight over. The ref's like, can you get up? He's like, nah. That's the worry you've got him. Is like if these two, two Simpsons. <laughs> if these two are still both there after five rounds, it could be really ugly. Like really ugly. As in pathetic. Uh, as in or are they both going to are you saying that they're both going to be listed on trustedtrader.com the week preceding the fight <laughs> just going to be hammering each other until they're knackered standing there just swinging horrible blows yeah, it, towards it other. could be pretty miserable to watch if they're both there in the second half of the fight I'd be 
what would you think that the flight would flight would just break down? They'd just stand there, or do you think they'd just be? They'd have nothing left. There's a risk punches. you'll just see clinching for six yeah. rounds. Uh, <laughs> I think I think oh, nothing so else because everyone knows that feeling when when the tank just empties. The tank empties, and what you're hoping is you can get close enough to the guy to just put your arm over him and just lean. <laughs> you just say, "Oh, fucking hell, thank you, thank you." That's what you're saying. All to your you opponent. can hear from him is going, "Thank you." Thank you. <laughs> and can I take a prediction? Winner of this fight will fight Anthony Joshua next. Really? If Anthony Joshua comes through Parker in an O2 voluntary defense, and Eddie will go, we're just giving the fans what they want. Because this is happening the week before AJ Parker. And so you've got Lucas Brown over from America, America, Australia. So if he wins, he stays over for another week, goes to that, sits ringside. It writes itself. I can see the winner of this ending up fighting Joshua. Which is a nice segue onto the AJ Parker announcement. Um, what do we think to that? Apart from the horrendous hotel prices. Well, Parker, I think he arrived either late last night or early today. So he's basically just got into the country, which is why the announcement was delayed. A lot of people are discounting Parker. But here, here, here are the things I think Parker has in his locker that no one's really touched on. One, he's got that Samoan toughness that chin so if you go back to a guy like David Tua and people go oh David Tua never won a world championship look at David Tua's record and look at the people he laid waste to and then remember in none of his defeats did he ever touch the canvas he was taken out on his feet so he the, the Polynesian sort of constitution seems to be super tough and you know, it's not like we've ever seen Parker really in trouble. And he's been in with some guys who can bang. And he trains with Izu Ugono as well, who can bang a bit. And the the additional factor behind that is Kevin Barry. So Kevin Barry trains Parker and used to train David Tua. If Kevin Barry can get Joseph Parker doing some of the things Tua would do, because Tua was great at getting right inside people long arms and just ripping to the body and the head, I think we could be in for a surprise because Joshua doesn't like to go backwards. He's great when you go backwards on him. But if you go forwards, if you go back to that Dillian White fight, when Dillian thought he could win and he went after Joshua, Joshua looked a different human being. As soon as Dillian started to retreat and try and box with AJ, you gave him time to breathe and you gave him time to think. And I'm hoping Parker adopts what I would probably call the, the high press approach and just keep Joshua working and just keep that lactic acid building up because we saw what happened in the fifth round with Klitschko. What's what's the risk that Parker gets in the ring, sees the size of AJ and poos himself and just goes into his shell? Ah, he's Samoan. He's got that Tongan blood or whatever it is. He's got the Polynesian blood for sure. If that were to happen, I'd be devastated. I would actually be devastated because... It would be a letdown. We forget... I have to clean the canvas as well. <laughs> <laughs> but we also forget, what's Parker now? He's what, 25, 26? He's quite young. Um, you know, go back to the days when he fought Tony Yoko in like the Junior World Championships. A long, that's a long time ago and he's been a pro since. So this could be a surprise. And, and if what I'm hearing is correct coming out of London, that AJ's not where he normally is in terms of performance, training and focus. If he's taking this fight lightly, he might just get exposed. Right, before I get your take on the fight, Martin, uh, Kevmar asks, 
With AJ and Wilder both now having drug convictions, is there a real danger that the fight might never happen due to red tape? Or do you guys foresee it happening in a random country? That's assuming Ortiz or Parker don't ruin things, of course. That's a good question. Um, so everyone remembers before the Olympics, when Anthony Joshua was being the man in London and might have received a sponsored vehicle and be driving around in a sponsored vehicle, which might have been of high value, allegedly. Mercedes, it's been rumoured to be. And, and he got stopped. And, you know, there are various stories about how the weed got found, but essentially he got found with nine ounces of weed, as is also known on the street as a nine bar of weed. And this is our future Olympic hopeful. So strings were pulled. He took the slap on the wrist and they said, okay, don't be a naughty boy. Go win the gold medal. for a little while. Yeah. Don't be a naughty boy. Behave yourself. You know, keep training here. Don't go too far and you'll be okay. So he got popped for that. There are other things that he's been alleged to have done. Beating the crap out of people and stuff like that. You know, bullying. These have all been alleged. I don't know if they're true. I've never heard Terry be so tiptoey around a subject. <laughs> well, Using well, the word alleged. I think that's ever come out of your mouth before. Well, well, no, no, because I'm holding my energy. Be- there are reporters who have stories about Joshua, right? And they're waiting for the right moment to unleash them. Just know this guy is a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with him as a person, as a boxer, whatever. But he is... <laughs> you're there Graham Norton telling people you're single but we know you're not you know you got that chick from Geordie Shaw you got the mother of your kid you allegedly denied you were the father for ages allegedly don't know <laughs> come on we were all younger lied about our relationship status when there were you know five million people watching on BBC One yes. <laughs> we've all been there we've all been there <laughs> yeah no but but for me none of this stuff makes me think any less of Joshua for the record because I don't think you can be a heavyweight great unless you have a bit of devil in you. So these are the sort of things, like, you know, Mike Tyson got a big-ass house, slapped Robin Givens about, bought a tiger, lost all his money, got it all back by just telling people he bought a tiger and beat the crap out of Robin Givens. Raped someone. Had a tattoo. Uh, <laughs> Had a tattoo I on his Convicted for raping someone. What happened, to, what happened to the last person who said that to Mike? <laughs> you know, you, you, you're a real scumbag, you know? You're a real piece of shit. Then oh, fuck you. Yeah, when he comes on the podcast, I'll have that discussion. <laughs> I guarantee you wouldn't. <laughs> I guarantee you won't come on the podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be all right. Yeah, fair one. <laughs> um, okay. Anthony Ridley asks, or Anthony Ridley, uh, what is the future for AJ fight locations now? All at Cardiff, unless uh, unless in the summer, or he fights abroad. You know, it's, it's terrible grammar, but. All right. <laughs> Remember, you've got all those characters, Anthony. Anthony. <laughs> you can't even pronounce his name. No, I love them. Remember, you, you got all those characters. So you can you can use a few commas if you like. Um, what's the... one less listener? <laughs> um, yeah. So, what is happening in the future for Ant? Do we do we even know? Can we well, can we surmise what's going to happen with the future of the AJ fight well, locations? They, they've balls it up, right? Like AJ's rhythm should have been summer, winter. The fact that he's fighting in the spring is just down to the fact that they need more money because Joshua Takam is not Joshua Klitschko. But what that means is you're trying to get 
you know, there are three big stadia in the, in the country, like ones that will fit 80,000 seats. The Millennium, but there's a Six Nations happening around that time. I don't know if it would have just finished or there, there's a, a fallow break. There'll be England internationals in and around that period because I think we're heading into Easter at that point. And then you've got Twickenham, which has got the same issues with the Six Nations. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so you're trying to park Anthony Joshua's fight in somewhere. But Twickenham are looking at this period going, we already make money in this period. We don't actually care where we put you. You're not our priority. So I think in in-season events, I think you look ideally they'd want to have the O2. Out-of-season events, you'd probably be looking at a stadium fight in the summer and probably the Millennium Stadium in the winter. Hearn's gone quiet about taking him overseas now, hasn't he? It's, uh, and whether that's yeah. because Hearn has less input into it or whether it's because they've canned that idea and actually they've realised that they can still rinse a fair bit out of the general public over here, I don't know. Because uh, <laughs> effectively, the, the narrative's gone, his next fight could be anywhere. It could be somewhere in Africa, it could be in the United States, or it could be in Cardiff again. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> like. And so now he doesn't necessarily talk so much about those overseas options. Um, he tends to just tell you where it's going to be rather than discuss where it might be. So I think it's probably nailed on, uh, certainly for the next year or so, that it's all going to be Wembley or Cardiff-based. Uh, Chris asks, if Usyk was to move up to heavyweight this year, what would be his best chance at a world title? And do you think, and how do you think he would fare against AJ, Wilder and Fury? So one of the things I found interesting was looking at the pictures of him alongside Isaac Chamberlain and believing they're in the same weight class. Jesus Christ, the man's wrists, no, the man's fists, wrists, and forearms. His biceps. Are the size of like my leg. It's, it's not human. And, and why that's important is when you're looking at a punch, you're looking at the transfer of force. So the, so the bigger the channel the force can move through, the less resistance you're likely to have. So when you've got small wrists at a big weight, you tend to struggle because you can't deliver all your power. If you could, you'd probably break your hand. He looks like he could add on another stone and a half, maybe two stone, and not lose the impact, maybe even gain impact because he's got massive wrists. And so that indicates he's probably got a massive skeleton underneath that and he's underweight as a cruiserweight. But he's also quite, he's not as tall as the other guys, so he's relying on skill. Has he got that sort of skill and timing to to catch someone like Joshua? Maybe. But Could we, he not, would he not lose a lot if he put on weight in terms of his speed? Like we saw with Hay when he fought his first fight of Bell, he just looks... I mean, I realise he was injured. It's not the best he example. Hadn't but you, he's you, very... Mate, wait, you clearly not on Instagram. <laughs> he, he was just on a boat and he was, he was being Playing driven around by... Playing Yeah. And he was being driven around by Dizzy Rascal. That was with Chris Eubank Jr. floating around. He didn't actually train. But if you notice... so. Oh, but could could yeah. Usyk end up being sluggish if he was to put that weight so, on? So, so look at David as an example. Um, when he went up to fight a guy like John Ruiz, he didn't look slow. He looked cruiserweight fast when he was fighting Ruiz. And he was in and around 16 stone, 16 stone two. Alexander Usk isn't that explosive type of athlete. He is of a similar stature to David. But would he get sluggish? I don't think so because he hasn't got a lot of lower body weight. So as long as the thing that drives you around isn't that big, you tend to be all right. It's when your legs get too big, then the weight gets harder to move. But generally, I don't... 
It depends what sort of shot he can take. If he can take a full-blooded heavyweight shot, then a lot of guys are in trouble. Uh, it's just that um, with AJ, when he when he fought um, against Takam, I've heard it said that because he knew that he didn't have to move, therefore he didn't feel the need to trim up. He just decided to go for power. Okay. So so, so well, when he didn't need to move against Klitschko when Klitschko was punching him in the face. <laughs> he did. And he was 18 stone two for that one. So the, it's a misnomer. Look, everyone's seen, has anyone seen the picture? There's a picture where Joshua is 233 pounds and there's one where he's 253 pounds. No one has explained to me how he got that big just for the record because I was like, at 233 pounds, he looked like he had reached the limits of his physique. Just say, do you know he's got like some sort of bigorexia where he can't he can't stop putting on weight? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. Can you imagine that where he just ended up coming in at twenty stone, just ripped? <laughs> and, and like then, and then a Mister like, Olympia athlete, yeah, yeah, literally going there like I'm going to challenge Phil Heath for Mister <laughs> Olympia. Imagine that he was just imagine he just has a fight in Vegas in September and then just goes over to the Olympia the next <laughs> yeah. day and just <laughs> and just wins that. Um. Usyk against AJ Wilder and Fury. Just briefly, what what, what chances do you give him, mine? Oh, uh, I, I know you don't I mean, like these questions, but just play the game for just two minutes. Not against Fury, too small. Uh, Wilder and AJ, he's got the the technical abilities. It could cause him all sorts of trouble. Whether he'd have the size when he moved up, we wouldn't know until he'd moved up. Well, see, it asks about Usyk and what title would you have best chance at. But on the presumption that AJ beats Parker, then he's only got two fighters to go through to get a world title anyway yeah there's a part of me that thinks Luis Ortiz will beat Wilder as well so that could shift everything you did not hear that here ladies and gentlemen (laughs) this is a pro Wilder podcast (laughs) I'm pro drugs I'm pro Ortiz (laughs) pro drugs (laughs) that's why Wilder's getting involved in it a little bit of possession of weed Um, (laughs) anything you can do Luis (laughs) uh, Paul Altai asks who, in your eyes, is the best trainer in the UK? Something that's come up actually fairly frequently over the history of the podcast. But uh, what do you think? I think Ingle's done a good job with Saunders. Um, a very good job based upon the David Lemieux fight. Did well in the corner that night as well. I know Terry's going to go with Adam Booth. Um, <laughs> I mean, there aren't that many options, are there? Let's be serious about it. Do we want Tony Sims or Joe Gallagher? Not really. So, so here, here's here's my issue with training, and I'll, I'll keep it brief. You're seeing a lot of people, a lot of trainers are being hyped, being hyped by promoters, being hyped by boxers. But I look at their stable, and I'm like, but there's no one who's excellent in your stable. So you're training people, and that's great. You can teach them how to box, but you're not teaching them how to be excellent. Now, like, if you look at Adam Booth's history, when he had David Hay, he had Gary Logan. And Gary Logan was a good British-level fighter. So David could learn some of the stuff of someone like a Gary Logan. And as David improved, guys came behind David. So Kathy the Bitch Brown, great name that is. She came in and was trained by Adam Booth for a bit before being trained by Logan. But all in the same camp. George Groves came in behind David. So George has something to aspire to. So for me, a good trainer understands how you structure a gym. And so you've got to have excellence in there to begin with. And then you've got to have the prospects. And I don't think you're getting a lot of that in the UK because these kids are just watching stuff on YouTube, making notes and just thinking they can train. But they're not understanding the the non-physical elements of what makes fighting successful. No, they're not. 
Yes, they are. Sorry, I just thought that's what you had to do on podcasts now. Just argue for the sake of it with no evidence whatsoever to back up your argument. <laughs> this is not the boxing voice. <laughs> oh, right. This is not Nesta Gibbs. Oh, sorry. But no, in, in, in essence, I think we struggle in this country because we're too arrogant to believe we need to learn from anyone. And until coaches start doing proper apprenticeships like they do in America, we're always going to be second rate because we're not... The, the knowledge is getting lost. I, I feel like this in the amateurs. So guys like Mickey Delaney at Dale Youth, and everyone knows what Dale Youth has produced, they're guys you want to be sat at the feet of and learning from. Um, you know, when Tony Burns was in his pomp, you wanted to learn from him. Mickey Carney, Steve Heiser at the Fisher. And I'm sure there are great men like that in all the, you know, in all the different regions. That's how you learn. You learn from people who have screwed up before because you don't want to make the same mistakes. Boxing Nut asks, who do you think O'Hara will join now? Well, he's not, he's not officially left Matchroom, has he? He's left Tony Sims. I don't know what the relationship with his manager, Charlie Sims, is at the moment. He was put on suspension. Um, so he's not actually left Matchroom officially. Whether he will or he won't, I know him and... Uh, sorry, Eddie Hearn and Tony Sims are very close, so you'd suspect there may well be a conjoined uh, approach. Hearn had said that he was going to sit down with him this week and make a decision. Um, so it wouldn't surprise you entirely if on Tuesday, Wednesday, Davis gets released. Where's he going to go? <laughs> Frank Warren's the obvious one, isn't it? But, you know, what's Frank Warren going to do with him, really? I, I don't know. He's too big for the small halls, not big enough for anyone huge over in America say to pick up the Sourlands would probably be my other um, estimate so I'll throw a, an Andy White curveball in there Haymaker I wouldn't be surprised that's to see a good shout wouldn't be surprised to see Chamberlain and O'Hara Davis that's on a, a Haymaker show because what's clear is Hearn is aligning himself to the AJ Boxing crew that leaves his his 2014 intake, and that's how you've got to def define those guys. They're the 2014 intake. O'Hara Davis, I think Craig Richards is part of that, and Isaac Chamberlain. They're part of that same sort of intake. And really, Matchroom have no plan for them because it doesn't fit the narrative they're trying to sell because that's what Hearn said. Hearn said, what I get excited about, massive events, and these Olympians. He's, he said that in a few IFL interviews. He never gets excited about Craig, never gets excited about Isaac, never gets excited about O'Hara. So if you're Haymaker, you're like, these guys have star power already. They're London-based, which is easy for what we're trying to build. Why wouldn't you take them? Yeah. Uh, John James Foster asks, is it plausible that there may have been a rift of some sorts between Eddie Hearn and IFL? The high draw content definitely has slowed and there is far less... Hearn 120 minute monologues I don't think so um, I think there was an issue around the AJ Klitschko stuff but I think they've probably resolved all that yeah, and Coogan's been away he's been away in America for the best part of a couple of weeks probably taking advantage of the low season in boxing over here um, you know Hearn still did the interview with James Helder the other day on IFL they seemed um, happy enough to discuss. Although I did then watch the Behind the Ropes video with Hearn with Rob Tebbett. And a shout out to Rob Tebbett because he does some brilliant interviews. Um, and Hearn just churned out the exact same answers in both interviews. Apart from when Rob started to push him on the whole AJ, um, you know, how he treated Ahara Davis versus how he treated AJ. And so he was asking the question directly to Eddie, which is something IFL don't do because they're shit scared of it, I suspect. Rob Tebbett was asking it. He was saying, why is it that Hara Davis has had this treatment and AJ's had the other treatment? 
Um, and every time he asked a question, Hearn went full politician and started turning it round entirely and saying, you know, if he'd said, if Rob asked the question, why, uh, what's happening with AJ? The answer would be, Ahara Davis has done far worse than anyone else. <laughs> it was like it was pure sacrificing Ahara Davis once again to save Anthony Joshua's face. Um, so, yeah, you fair be- play to Rob, though, behind the gloves for actually asking be- the questions. You, you better talk about Ahara, Eddie. Oh, I'm going to talk to Frank. <laughs> and you know who I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, fair play uh, again to Rob for uh, doing a good job. He's doing that. well. Like, behind the gloves, and if Rob listens to this, mate, apologies, but I do have to say this. Michelle Joy Phelps is an absolute numpty fuck, right? <laughs> and I never listen to anything she does. I've met her in person. She's okay. Nothing special. I'm not being but- rude about this. If Michelle Phelps was a one out of ten then she wouldn't have been as successful as she is. Oh, you that's know, apparently if, if she didn't, you know, chew on some pubic hair, she wouldn't be the success that she is. Her <laughs> raging babe. And for the record, this is what we're hearing out of America. Like, whatever I say, this can never come into anywhere near the sphere of agony. <laughs> no, no. And the reason I say that is no one really engaged with behind the gloves because the voice is whiny and it's irritating. And then Rob Tebbett came and Rob's got this way of, he, he plays it a little bit thick at times, yes. despite the fact that he knows the answer. So it's a bit like Andy who plays it thick, but he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Rob does, but he still plays that role anyway. And he's very good at it. He, 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 he reminds me of Martin Bacoli. You know, when you look at someone walking to the ring and you're like, this guy's shit. And then, you, first 30 seconds you're like no nah, he's still shit and then something seems to happen and you're like no no I, I, I don't think this guy's shit oh 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 this guy could kill Joshua <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how you feel about Rob like when you hear a Rob Tebbett interview you go they just need to they need to leave behind the gloves him doing the questioning and is it Raz or Rav the guy that does the film now he's fight hype sorry but you know you, Behind the gloves have gone past fight hype now in the UK, and now they're knocking on the door of IFL. I would rather watch a Rob Tebbett Eddie Hearn interview than a Coogan Cassius Eddie Hearn interview. Agreed. And if Rob ever wants us to help with, you know, some follow up questions, more than willing to join <laughs> in. We we have plenty for Eddie Hearn. Okay. He won't take mine. I've emailed him multiple times. I'm You're blocked again this year. You're just blocked. <laughs> I'm just going their junk filter every time. Dave McGinley um, asks, in reference to Parker AJ, uh, if you looked at both men's CVs, who has actually had a tougher opposition the last few years? My instinct is that AJ has had more hyped fights, but potentially not as tricky. That's the first part. Mm, what's AJ had? Klitschko, Takam, Molina, Brazil. Uh, but those two aren't any real threats to anyone, whereas... Um, Ruiz, Takam, Huey Fury for uh, for Joseph Parker. Parker. I would probably go with those three as being a more difficult challenge than what Fury's been. Uh, sorry, um, Joshua's been through. Personally, like a washed Klitschko um, and then Takam at <laughs> a week's notice. They're not particularly difficult fights. Uh, don't get me wrong, they are difficult fights. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to take them. But <laughs> um, I would personally say Takam with a full training camp and younger and more prepared. Andy Ruiz, Huey Fury. To me, that's a more difficult set of opponents. So so my issue is Huey Fury, a guy that will never go forwards. Andy Ruiz is basically a fat welterweight. Um, 
and Carlos Takam is Carlos Takam. Uh, so I think Joshua's probably had the tougher fights because I think Molina would give Parker problems. And I think Brazil would give Par- uh, Joseph Parker problems as well. And, but that's not down to skill. That's down to just sheer size. I think just Joshua being bigger means he makes lighter work of them. But when they come together face-to-face, it'll be a bit more interesting because I think Parker's a, a decent technician. And I think that's what AJ struggles with. AJ struggles with people who are decent technicians. He also struggles if you come forward. If Parker can just come forward, then I think he can do it. But on CV, you've got to give it to well, Joshua. To summarise the next part of his question, it's, is it being overlooked how young Parker is? Um, could he go on to, could he be more of a threat in the future, a bit more seasoning under his belt? Um, admittedly, that's not going to be relevant to this fight, but is he a work in progress with a lot more potential? I don't think so, because you watch him, like his last few performances, it's like he's hit his own ceiling and he's not improving and I don't know, maybe he needs a rest or maybe that's as good as he is. You haven't seen improvements fight on fight. So are you telling me really that in five years time, he's going to have a better boxing brain? He's going to have more stamina. He's going to have more power. Maybe the last one out of those, but I don't see anything else necessarily changing. Maybe he needs a vacation somewhere. <laughs> he goes to Australia. Yeah, nice and summery there. It's just over the border, isn't it? Summery, camp, chill out. Talk to Jeff. <laughs> Jeff will look after you. <laughs> Lucas ah oh, the master John Bailey asks are Sky putting weaker cards against the BT's highest cards to try and drive figures of BT down using casual fans whilst operating on a low profit to small loss for their shows hoping BT drop out the market soon enough and I think this is in reference to the Frampton Donair fight um, so fill in the gaps there for us well, it's not the first time it's happened, right? So BT have scheduled their fight. So they've scheduled Frampton Donaire in Belfast. Um, if you remember rightly, they scheduled Liam Williams, Liam Smith up in Newcastle. And then Hearn announced um, AJ versus uh, Pulev for the same night. And so Frank Warren had to rearrange his own. Um, and now they've done this. So they've announced Frampton Donaire. And then in the same week... Eddie Hearn later on comes out and announces the signing of Amir Khan is to fight on the same night. And so it's a very it's a very purposeful ploy by Hearn for me. Like it he clearly doesn't relish having BT in the same marketplace as he's in. There's only a limited number of viewers that are ever going to watch boxing on one night. Um and what he's done is he's brought in Amir Khan against whoever knows. But Amir Khan is on the back of the huge public. I'm a celebrity stuff. He's got that backing. He's got that profile at the moment. Whoever he fights is almost irrelevant because you're going to get viewers tune in because it's Amir Khan. Are you going to get people tune in because it's Carl Frampton? And Nanito Donaire, like wipe that name off. That's irrelevant. It's great to boxing fans, although he's kind of over the hill. He's not a relevant name that's going to draw in casual observers to the sport. But I think it's worth remembering, Frampton has a has a country behind him. He does, but, but you're never yeah. going to take them from him anyway. Like, Northern yeah. Ireland are always going to yeah. watch Carl so, Frampton. So, so I, I genuinely believe there's always going to be a solid constituency that was going to follow Frampton. So this is the battle now for England, Scotland, Wales. Yeah. And Republic of Ireland as to who's going to watch who. So Republic are probably going to watch Carl. So then where does mainland UK I, I think fit people, into it? I, I genuinely think people will... We'll just channel, channel hop. 
And you, you'll be hoping that there's no clash. They perhaps will. But I think this is what Hearn's aimed for, is that Hearn's got that long-term sky deal with the boxing. So he can take a temporary hit. Like, you're going to get a bit of a peak for Amir Khan anyway on his debut with them because they can build that. And so he's hoping whatever hit he takes because of the Carl Frampton one, it means whatever that hit is, hopefully it's worse for BT Sport. And hopefully, you know, if by moving... Making Frank move Liam Smith versus Liam Williams. Can you imagine when he had to go to BT Sport and say, oh, that date that we've advertised, we're going to have to change that now on the TV schedule because AJ's fighting that day. And now he's kind of got to justify if Cole Frampton doesn't get the viewing figures that they'd be hoping that he gets. Oh, that's because Amir Khan turned up on Sky. So it must be a ploy by Eddie to say, let's do everything we can to put BT Sport off and hopefully... they'll move out of boxing. But he so says weaker cards. He mentions weaker cards against... I think, to be fair, there's only Amir Khan announced for that card. There's nothing else. <laughs> run, by that point, they'd have run out of bodies. Well, we're going to get a Rocky Field in British title defence, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Natasha Jonas, world title eliminator. I don't know yeah. what else you put on in Liverpool. You're going to get trash. But um, Amir Khan's the attraction. And, it doesn't really be, matter. And, and don't be surprised if Hearn wheels O'Hara Davis out. Like... Like just in a sad attempt to just drown out anything Frampton related, he might just go. Do you know what? We might get O'Hara Davis in Liverpool. He he won't do it, but he will just put that in an IFL interview. Maybe put O'Hara Davis on the card. I mean, ha- have him go up to Hillsborough, show his repentance, let him let him get put in the stocks and have rotten vegetables thrown at him. <laughs> and Hearn would do that. And and I think what upsets me about all of this is, it's like. It's like watching your two closest mates argue over a girl, right? You're looking at them going, this is really not necessary. Like, for fuck's sake, sort it out. And that's how I feel about Sky and BT because we want to watch Frampton and we want to watch Khan. I don't want to have to choose between those two. That's not how boxing should be, you know? It's like fucking Brexit, isn't it? Two older Tony and Oxbridge wankers basically settling a score that we all have to suffer for. And that's like Eddie and Frank. They're, they're, they're having their little childish war and we're paying the price for it. And, and I don't meant, think that's fair. If this meant in one year's time, there's less boxing on TV because BT Sport pull out, then we've all lost out of it. Nobody wins because of it. Well, I suppose the logical question to ask is, do you think this tactic will work? Who knows? I mean, it depends on what the BT Sport executives so, so, so the issue, are willing to put up with. So the issue... So remember Sky's problem. Sky's problem is subscriber numbers are down. They've vastly overpaid for their premiership coverage. And so for them pay-per-view boxing is a way to recoup some of that over the life of the football contract. So that's why AJ is so important to them. That's why they can't afford to lose AJ. They'd sooner lose Matchroom than lose AJ. Uh, they did a content sharing deal recently, Sky and BT. Um, do we know anything if that's going to affect the boxing at all? Is it even, it, for, well, even, for, for the reasons mentioned above. It, it won't affect that at all because Sky need Sky need Joshua to fight three times a year, right? And they need him to sell out three times a year and they need 700,000 people to buy pay-per-views a year so they can fill the hole that the football's draining them of. Because, look, everyone's getting Cody boxes now. No, no one really wants to engage with the Sky platform because you don't really need to. Whereas BT consciously hypothecated money to say, look, we're going to make savings elsewhere so we can be in boxing. They have a war chest to be in boxing. And Hearn knows that. Is his war chest bigger than theirs? We'll find out. But this is a very expensive game to play. Uh, YouTube scientist asks, what 
Does the future hold for O'Hara Davis on what should he do next? Personally, I think he should go to America as he doesn't sell tickets here anyway for a fresh start. The most miserable man on earth. I, <laughs> I love some of his responses, <laughs> but genuinely miserable. <laughs> um, O'Hara won't go to America. He's not sellable over there. And his skill set's not so spectacular that the Americans would fall in love with him. I'll, look, if, if I could advise O'Hara, and I know this might get back to him somehow, with me, I'd take the Luke Campbell approach to stuff. I'd have gone and trained with, with Rubio out in Miami, gone and just learnt the sport, learned to enjoy boxing again. Just be out in Florida, training, sparring, maybe getting some work with the guys like Keith Thurman. You can drive over to Texas and work with guys like Errol Spence. I would just have a year in America with those guys. Just fighting on low-key shows, but just learning your trade. Come back a different person. Is what I would do. Terry, do you think Eddie Hearn threw O'Hara under the bus with his recent IFL interviews? It's almost like you just discussed that off of the recording. Who would have thought we'd do anything no, like no, that? No, no, no. I'm not saying you did. You, know, you said almost. So it's not actually. No, allegedly. No, oh. ale- allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, this still rankles with me. Um, look, if we go back to a year ago, and Hearn was wheeling O'Hara Davis out to to goad the Liverpudlians and and putting himself in danger. What people never saw at the press conference was how much security they had to have at the venue because they were told, listen, you keep bringing that gobshite here. And that was the word that was used. You know, he's going to get taken out. You're all going to get taken out. And Hearn keeps wheeling the... He's a young man and he's dealing with this kind of pressure. And... Prior to the Tom Farrell fight, I really wish Hearn had just said to O'Hara, we need to draw a line under this, okay? So we're going to get that Tom Farrell fight. We're going to take you around Liverpool. You're going to meet some people. We're going to take you to the families of the Hillsborough victims. You're going to understand how this city works, what their spirit is. And after that, you're going to go, do you know what? I know a bit more about you guys now. We don't have to like each other, but let's at least respect each other. Walk away from it. Don't ever come back here to box again. Just draw a line under it. But instead... You know, Hearn just leaves him because, look, O'Hara Davis and Eddie Hearn's alluded to this, isn't the sharpest tool in the box when it comes to things of how to conduct yourself. You know, growing up in Hackney, you're not privileged to the lessons that your Gareth A. Davises and so forth have had. You're not. So he's learning as he goes along. And then we get to a point now where he makes the comments about the sun. We can't really say anything other than they were definitely misguided. And with a more sensible head around him, he probably wouldn't have, I mean, he probably wouldn't have said that. But let's not act like Eddie Hearn would not have had O'Hara Davis walk out with a copy of The Sun at the Hey Bell You Presser. He would have done, you know. So for Eddie Hearn to start moralizing about how, you know, he's given O'Hara Davis all of these chances he, he's basically shafted O'Hara Davis in a way that leaves a bad taste in the mouth and makes you wonder, why would you work directly with Eddie Hearn? You almost look at the Isaac Chamberlain approach of, I'm going to keep my distance as one that's quite sensible now because you're just going to be exploited if Hearn has no plans for you. He would never make Joshua Boatsy do that. He would never make Joe Cordina do that. And he'd never make Josh Kelly do anything like that. I just want to well give, give a shout out to Iestinev. Um, <laughs> what? Yestin. Yestin. He's Is Welsh. He? Right. Him. Um, boxing. <laughs> boxing TV card clashes with Warren or Hearn is anyone's fault, but I think we've pretty much covered that. Yeah. Um, 
Terry, given the David Evans asked, given the sudden influx uh, influx of women turning professional in the UK, do you see this as a flash in the pan or something which is here to stay? Re women's boxing. Do you remember that that drink tab clear? <laughs> the fake Coke. Yeah, so it was it was see through Coca Cola, right? That's what Tab Clear was. It was cool, I thought. And and you could buy it like when Coke was like like thirty p a can, you could buy Tab Clear for like twenty two pence, right? And they were determined to make you love Tab Clear, but we were just like, it mm. looks like water, tastes like Coke. This is fucking with my head, right? It's a shit product just for that. The marketing shit, the packaging shit, everything about this product is shit. Even if the taste was good, you've got it so wrong, I'm never going to forgive you. That's where women's boxing is right now. And the reason I say that is, we're being sold a narrative that there was no women's boxing before Katie Taylor showed up, <laughs> right? Christy Martin was knocking people out. Whatever you think about Christy Martin, in the 90s, she was knocking people out. In the 2000s, she was knocking people out. And it's worth watching her videos because they're more entertaining than this shit we've been forced to Jane watch. Jane Couch. Yeah, Jane Couch, the first licensed female boxer in this country. Um, Kathy the Bitch Brown, another one who's from that sort of 97, 98 class of female boxers. Um, Lucia Riker. If anyone's ever watched, here, here's what I mean about, this is female boxing for me, right? Lucia Riker, wiping everyone out, came from a Muay Thai background. This is how good she was at Muay Thai. They got a man to fight her. It took a man to knock her out. And so credit where credit's due, 58 kilograms against a 59 kilogram man. And to be honest, we realized that women don't have the same chin that men do because she got knocked spark out. I love the fact that they had to put her in a ring with a man to figure that out. Credit where credit's due, he knocked her spark out. What an absolute ledge that geezer was. She was out cold. And at that point, all the scientists around the ring went, men look like they might be stronger than women. Who'd have thunk it? Well, uh, there are a lot of feminists that believe that's just a social construct. You know that, don't you? <laughs> well, like, look, it's, ju- it's just a narrative. Him, However, she, she did beat Khan in the rematch. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so someone, like, someone like Lucia Riker, who none of the current female boxers will have a clue about because they don't do their research and they assume that they're pioneers. So... When I hear people like Stacey Copeland tell us that she's a pioneer, and I'm like, how are you a pioneer when you're getting all of this thrown at you? You know, who was it? Was it Jane Couch that fought in a Lennox Lewis bill in Vegas? Yes. Yes. Like, what are you pioneering? You're not pioneering shit. Because Kathy the Bitch Brown was fighting on David Hay cards when he was coming up. I mean, and they're all working together out of the third space. Like, this myth that Katie Taylor's a pioneer, that this, they're not. All it is now is another opportunity to go, right, can we make some money out of these lesbians and feminists? Yes or no? As delicate as ever. Well, no, 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 because I'm tired of this myth being sold that there was no women's boxing before or that it wasn't any good. Layla Ali had an endorsement deal with Adidas for fuck's sake. Like, come on, man. Just people just need to go back, look at history and they'll understand this. That's not really how people work though, is it? Like, they, 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 Sky push now... Sky and lots of pundits like to push the fact that the Premier League is all encompassing and always has been. Football there. didn't start until the Premier yeah. League kicked off. And the longer time goes on, the more that's going to be something that just sits in people's minds. 100 years from now, they're gonna, not going to be talking about how great the 1974 yeah, Cup how final many, was. How many Anthony Joshua fans would rate Muhammad Ali? <laughs> wow, well, mate. They'd mate. all just assume that like, Anthony Joshua would have walked through him, knocked him out six rounds. 
Yeah. And you would have said by the 60s, they didn't really have steroids. So how would he have done that? <laughs> Out of interest. Not saying that he takes them, but just in case he needed help. Uh, Paul Altai asks, I, I don't even know what, if he's listened to the podcast any more than once, then he should know the answer to this already. But would you all buy cheap tickets and have a terrible view of a fight to say you were there or buy the PPV in comfort of your home and have mates round? Right. Martin wouldn't pay for either. <laughs> Unless his arm was twisted to the point where he would buy a ticket, but he wouldn't do it if he had to have a terrible view. Terry, I've already, I've now my colours. So, so, so it's I'll only sweet in, Caroline I'll all day long. Sit so, in so, row ZZZ. No, so, so I, I'm the sort of person where even like with Groves Eubank, like I, I'm, I'm floor all the way. I, I can't do, I can't do the bleaches as Americans would say. It has to be floor. Floor seats. Andy would hang around outside the stadium just to get the atmosphere. He doesn't even need to go in. <laughs> just walking around the O2. Just screaming at the top of my lungs. Sweet Caroline. No, Andy will go to Prezzo just to have dinner there. Actually, Terry turns up 10 minutes before the main bout and buys tickets at fucking a third of the price <laughs> and gets two of them. And then walks down to the front. Yeah. Excuse me, mate. You look like a bloke who would like front row tickets for half the price. They weren't or... even front row, mate. I had, I, I had standard seats. I, I just went down because no one seemed to give a shit about security because it was the security <laughs> at one of those shows. <laughs> Whose show? Those shows. Huh? You sure? Those shows. <laughs> Fuck off. I've just got out of it. Well, what show was it? I can't Doesn't remember. Who, uh, who, from, a, from a promoter next, that we question? can't even remember. Anyway, John Bailey asks, can the Magic 500 tickets mentioned by Frank Warren be explained <laughs> in the reference to the StubHub tweet? <laughs> well, this is... Um, right, so Warren's been on a warpath with this, and I love it. I love it. Old Frank's proper, like, he's laying in now, and I think he... You've always had a good relationship with him, Always. You? We've never, ever, <laughs> ever fallen out, ever. Um, <laughs> so... Best buds. It seemed that the CMA are getting involved and investigating this stub hub. Fucking grass. <laughs> you fucking grass, Theo. Lord. Uh, now the CMA are getting involved and they're investigating this stub hub stuff. It's given Frank Warren like a second wind. And he's like a an animal now that's sensing that his prey's a little bit hurt. So he's but he's not going to kill it. It's like when my cats have got a mouse in the garden. Instead of killing it, they'll just play with it for a bit whilst it's badly injured. And that's what he's doing with his stubbub stuff now. And so he did an interview the other day saying that it's magic how, like, say Anthony Joshua sells out a 80,000-seater stadium within 10 minutes. And, like, he's saying, you know, I've done big fights in the past. I've done stadium fights. They've never sold out like that. Now, granted, Frank Warren can't seem to get his head around the fact that there's now the internet. And so back in the day, you'd have had to ring up these phone lines. They didn't have 80,000 phones available to buy tickets. So you couldn't have done it in 10 minutes. That's just technology, Frank. Um, and I suspect you probably do listen, <laughs> just to find out what we're saying. Um, so, yeah, his point is that the StubHub ends up with, you know, it all sells out of face value, and then StubHub ends up with... 500 tickets on it per day and he said he's had people monitor this that there are always 500 tickets so you could sell like at the end of day one there could only be 350 tickets left and 150 have gone magically day two 150 tickets turn up and it's back up to 500 tickets and he says they've done the investigations they've monitored it so they can always like they can uh, reconcile exactly how many are put on and sold within each day 
hinting at, you would suspect, that maybe these are topped up somewhere. Well, there's a back, well, back catalogue of tickets they can just keep. Yeah, so where know. do those come from? That's the question. Where do those tickets always come from that build it back up to 500 per day? People who have already bought the tickets and decided they didn't want to go. Yeah, absolutely, because you've all got 150 tickets sat around at home, isn't you? Just ready to put back on. Within 30 seconds, it's like, oh, impulse purchase. It's like... <laughs> Why do I do this? Every single Eddie Hearn show, it's I always like, buy six tickets and then end up sending them to StubHub the day after. It tells me that I'm limited to six per person, but I've got 150 now. <laughs> Who am I going to sell them to? Who, I ask you? Let's do a thought exercise here, right? What's the easiest way to sell out a venue? Well, no, no, sorry. No, what's the easiest way to, to claim a sellout? Is to go, right, we're just going to put 2,000 tickets on, right? And it will sell out. Because there's more than 2,000 people looking. But that amount of traffic that goes in, and you say, right, all of you 5 million people that have tried to buy tickets, of which have only really released 5,000, you're going to have this sense of, oh, shit, if it's sold out that quickly, it must be something special. When in the background, I've hypothecated a set number of tickets because maybe I've been advanced some money to run the show. Might call it sponsorship, but it's not really sponsorship. <laughs> so of these tickets that are hypothecated for the sponsor, because we all know that boxers love to reward their sponsors, right? They do. They like to give them social media shout outs. Um, yeah. Advertising. So then all of a sudden, money. You, you go from having tickets on one side, on a promotional side, to having inventory on a reseller side. And what happens is, You've got an algorithm that tells you how to. You've got an algorithm that tells you how to optimize demand, right? That's what your algorithm does if you're a reseller, and so you know 500 is enough to create the hysteria that people go, "Oh shit, oh, just missed out." Come back the next day, oh, there's 500 more, just missed out, and you'll keep doing it till you get them. Now you feel special, and they can do this, and they can time when they let these tickets go. Because they have these algorithms that monitor. It's the same way. I don't know if people realize this. Just a quick tip. Hotel prices are determined by how many people are looking at the hotel at that given moment. So if you ever want to book a hotel and you want a good deal, book it about two in the morning. Because no one's on there. And they're so happy that you're on there that they'll give you a deal. Because it's more important that they close the deal than they gamble that it's there the next day. So what you end up having... What about is- in Cardiff? Could you get it for 300 quid for two people rather than 400? I'll check tonight. <laughs> but but so, so here's the problem you now have. You've got a company advancing a promoter money to organize an event because it's cash flow intensive. Hypothetically. Well, well, this is just a thought exercise. There are no names attached. So you've got a ticket reseller fronting up the money and going, in return, I want to resell these tickets and we will split anything we get above the sale price 70-30 in our favor. There might be a boxer on there that's sponsored too by the same company. <laughs> and part of him securing a purse that will be bigger than the face value ticket market would allow is to say, give him some tickets. He can give us the tickets to sell on his behalf. And anything above face value, or actually the whole value of it, because he's given them to us for free, we split on a revenue share basis. The problem with that essentially is you've got a promoter and maybe a sponsored boxer who have no incentive to cancel a show, have no incentive to 
give refunds. What, if an opponent changed at late notice? Or? They would, the show must go on. Oh, okay, okay. Because they, they're locked in. Their remuneration is locked in to achieving the full sale target. So we're now in this insidious world, and maybe this is what Frank's alluding to. Mm. I have no idea. It wouldn't happen, mate. There's too many. There's no way it would happen. Is the customers are protected and stuff like that? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know, you know, you know that little box you have to tick when they say you agree to our terms and conditions, and then <laughs> you've you ever read the terms and conditions. Two hundred pages in like size eight font, Arial. Do you know what I mean? Wingdings. So, <laughs> <laughs> Comic Sans. Yeah. But so basically what I'm trying to say about it's an unhealthy relationship where a ticket reseller seemingly has access to tickets that you're being told only the fans have access to in the first phase. Then it's not really a reseller. It's a primary seller relationship. And if it's a primary seller relationship, they should be selling them at face value, not at inflated multiples of face value. And hopefully that's what the CMA will discover because we've now seen that you ca- it's illegal to use bots to buy tickets now. It's now actually illegal. Oh, is it? Yes, Digital Economy Act, I think uh, it is. It's okay. illegal right. to use bots to secure I knew they tickets. were looking into that. That's good. Yeah. So, so th- I think people are realizing that this is it's the least efficient way to do this because you're taking money out of people's pockets that could be used to get pissed. You know, and whatever people say, getting pissed and paying your bills is the easiest way to grow this economy. Totally, totally, totally unrelated to that previous conversation, StubHub, Andy Joshua and Eddie Hearn. Let's move on. Mayor of Brixton asks, Ooh. in the age <laughs> of pretenders, and with that, the casual suit was removed. <laughs> it's unrelated. I just want to make sure everyone knows. Unrelated. Entirely unrelated. Mate, you're banned from Brentwood for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> you can never go to 56 Mill Street, you Ingotstone. You can't even book a badminton court at their leisure centre. <laughs> In the age of pretenders, how many Brits will hold a world title at the end of the year? Oh, mm. ah. Shout out to Rob Martin, by the way, top man. Good man. Um, l- 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 loves a bit of domestically grown veg- vegetation. It does, apparently. Turns out, I found yeah. out on Twitter this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who's going to hold a world title end of the year? Winner of Groves Eubank will keep hold of that title, I'm sure. Um, I'm not counting the IBO as part of that. AJ, I think, will still hold a world title. Um... Lee Selby, because he'll chin Warrington. I'm not really sure outside of that. Huey Fury to hold an IBO. I'm not counting IBO titles. Then I'll start counting WBF titles and WBU titles. Um, WWE titles? Yeah. Yeah. Do Quite it. credible. Um, outside of those three? Uh, oh, the Irish lad. Fuck, what's his Frampton? name? Frampton? No. Um... Oh, Seamus is going to be getting pissed at me now. Fucking Bantamweight. Jesus Burnett. Christ. Burnett. Ryan Burnett. He'll still hold Why do you hate top. Irish boxing? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate everyone mind, Irish? Seamus. Don't call me out on this. Why do you hate everyone Irish? <laughs> Ryan Burnett, because the fact that they've managed to swerve the Tete fight so badly, if Inouye moves up, I'm sure they'll swerve that. He's had a hard, you know, 12 months in winning that title in a walkover against Lee Haskins and unifying it. Um, You've seen Haskins is back? He is. He fought in Bristol or whatever on a, fuck's sake. an undercard. Um, I don't... 
He retired and then he's come back, which a lot of boxers do, I get. But like... The money wasn't right. You know, you check your online banking. Like, <laughs> mate, why don't you check your online banking before you announce you're retiring? Yeah, when you divide this by the next 50 years of your life and it doesn't quite add up. Um, yeah, so... I, I can see Burnett holding the world title still. Amir Khan? No. Okay. Not at 147. Um, so, yeah, I don't Josh see Josh Taylor, more, maybe? I don't think they'll put him in a world title by the end of the year. I don't know if the Cyclone finances would lend itself. True. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. I'll probably miss some out, but I'm not really thinking very straight. Any honest. heavyweights? Are we looking at maybe Tyson Fury? Would he Would he hold one by the end of the year? No, I don't even think he's going to fight by the end of the year. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm not convinced. Bellew? What about Bellew? Has he still got like a diamond belt or something? He can hold a fucking car boot sale rather than a belt. <laughs> Cog. Nah, I don't mean that. I like Tony Bellew. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> Babs. No, no, I've got nothing personal against Tony Bellew. It's just that if you're the cruiserweight champion and you go up to fight David Hay and then a cruiserweight tournament goes on, like, he's now a novelty act of a boxer. And that's fine, but at least tell us that. Don't still talk about being the best out there and what have you. <laughs> yeah, fair one. Um, Babs asks, with David Hay winning the Ask Him Purse bids plus staging a card with Joe Joyce at York Hall next month, what do you think his short-term ambitions are in the promotion business? To fucking figure it out. Um, I don't think there's a clear strategy behind what Haymaker Promotions are doing. A year ago, it seemed a lot clearer. Um, having sat down with the main protagonists of Haymaker, that the original aim was, well, if you look at Ringstar as a whole, Ringstar's main thing was, we want to get the Olympians. Right, that was what Ringstar really wanted to do. So they wanted to get the Olympians, who you know, almost like moneyballing it. And so you know, they've signed a few guys who weren't high profile. Um, they've got Joe Joyce, they've got Tony Yoka, and really, it's the Joyce Yoka factor which they were hoping to drive through. And then they were going to have a mezzanine layer of guys who were good. You know, same moneyball principle: guys who were good but probably hadn't been promoted the right way. An example of that would be an O'Hara Davis or an Isaac Chamberlain. And then below that, you're going to have some prospects of your own that you'd bring through. That hasn't come to fruition. I imagine um, knowing some people in the camp, too expensive. And so they've decided to go a bit more, take an earthier approach. So your call, relatively cheap. Um, you know, David Hay, can, just the fact that David is in there will probably fill your call in its own, in its own right. So you know you're going to make your money back. And in the meantime, just give people the fights. Um, I have no idea who Joe Joyce is fighting on that February card. I know he was offered, a few opponents were offered money and they said no. Um, afraid of taking the hiding. I'm not going to say who they are. One of them might be fighting Daniel Dubois. And if he does, it'll be AJ Carter times 10. But I don't think Haymaker know what they're doing yet. They don't know what their sweet spot is at the moment. Is it an all Haymaker card? Is it a Haymaker plus a Steve Goodwin card? Is it a Haymaker headline and a Steve Goodwin undercard? They don't know what that sweet spot is yet. So I think we're going to see probably another 12 months of playing with the levers. And I don't know if it will be by design or by accident that they find that sweet spot. 
what I like about it is the fact that they clearly are happy to take on board feedback and evolve with what they're doing. So the fact they've moved it from the O2 Indigo, where they had the last Joe Joyce fight to York Hall, shows that they're actually willing to listen to, and I don't know whether it comes from fans or people involved in the show, this podcast. from our podcast. Um, the fact that the O2 Indigo is a terrible place to, to host a boxing match. And then they've moved it to York Hall. Like, it's just such a wise idea. You probably sold enough tickets to fill York Hall last time, which fills half of the O2 Indigo. So they've taken that on board and it'll create a better atmosphere. Whatever the card is, it'll just be better at York Hall than in a half-empty O2 Indigo. So at least they are willing to take on board people's views and feedback. Harry CB asks, how does Terry program to account for periodization in amateur boxers? If they have to be always ready, end quotes, can they ever be fighting at 100%? Um, amateur boxing is probably different to the pros in the sense that you're going to fight a lot more times. I mean, you can have a 20-bout season, you can have a 30-bout season, depending on how active you are. So what you're doing is you're planning to peak for certain tournaments. So if you're a senior boxer, you're planning to peak in about March through to April for the ABAs. Uh, you got a fallow. You got a fallow period between June and September, and so you you can break the year down into quarters. Let's talk about the summer. In the summer, you're probably not touching too much in the boxing. You're looking at making your guys stronger, faster, and all that sort of stuff. So that's generally how I do stuff. So this gets very technical now for people who who like this sort of thing. That's when you're doing your heavy lifting. That's when you're doing your explosive work. You're basically pushing the limits of your body because you want to create a stronger athlete than you had last season. And then all I'm going to do throughout the season is manage the decline because that's essentially what happens in boxing. You, you make all of these fabulous gains in the summer and I just want to manage the decline. So instead of a 10% decline through a season, I want to get you down to probably a 3 to 5% decline. But... When you're, when you're training and working on stuff, it's probably harder then, and you're just trying to set aside time, but a lot of that's done in the fighter's own time. I'm a bit more targeted in what I do. I know some other guys are more generic in what they do, but the in-season part, you have fallow periods. So you'll have a, a quick burst of four or five bouts, then I'll give you probably a month to do other stuff, focus on what, what the previous bouts taught us. So that's how we periodize. We have blocks of bouts. We reflect and reprogram and we work on stuff, and then we have another block of bouts, reflect and reprogram. It's not as precise as you'd want in the pros, but what it means is you can keep your guys active and you can keep improving them as boxers while managing the decline in their physical capabilities. And shout out to Harry, by the way. I spent quite a lot of time with chatting after the live show. Lovely young lad. Yeah. Mo Hassan asks, I'd not fight George Joyce for less than 300,000 motherfuckers. The fuck is this shit? Jazora? No, no. This is not Derek. This is not Derek. It's better than your AJ. Mm -hmm. um, a Coley versus Chamberlain. Fuck you, Theobald. <laughs> you grassing cunt. <laughs> and I'm not talking about this shit in that garden, yeah? <laughs> uh, for the third time. A Coley versus Chamberlain. Who wins and how? I can see a Chamberlain points victory. I'm going Chamberlain points. Um, and I'm basing that on... I'd, I'd love to see the footage of Chamberlain sparring with Usk. I'd love to see how competitive it is. 
and Isaac says it is super competitive. He was out there with Mike Perez, says that was, you know, a real war. Um, but we know a Cody bangs hard. What else has he got about him? We don't really know. We know Isaac's got a lot of heart. You know, his shoulder coming out against Waddy Camacho. Um, the agony that he must have gone through in that. So if he can survive all those rounds spying with Usyk, he's got the heart of the Camacho fight. It all depends how he takes those first two rounds of of Akoli coming out trying to take his head off with punches. If he gets through that, I can see Chamberlain going on points. Um, how do you think, uh, Mo again, how do you think Billy Joe Saunders would do against all other middleweights? Has he got a chance against Canelo? Do you what, Canelo at the same have... time? Like, like the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Um, has he got a chance against Canelo due to Canelo having issues with movers, i.e. Khan, Lara, and Mayweather? Did he have issues with Khan? No, he didn't have an issue with Khan. Khan won the first few rounds, which he now hangs his career upon, is that I won the first few rounds. That was just Canelo, like, working out his timing, working yeah. out his speed. He didn't give a shit about those first few rounds. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Saunders is vastly improved. What we've seen of him... Um, but don't forget, David Lemieux is agricultural. He's a banger, and that's that's what he's famed for: is being a banger, not being a boxer. But but he did beat him convincingly, didn't he? So I would the, anticipate the, anyone that's got any level of boxing, <laughs> like who's meant to be a technical boxer, who fames himself on being a technical boxer, which is what Saunders has built his career on, should do that to him. So it didn't surprise me that he should. He just did it very, very convincingly, and it was very, very good. I'd give him a chance against Golovkin. I'd probably give him less of a chance against Canelo. Okay. Uh, Terry? Uh, let's see him against Jacobs first. I think Jacobs is a hard fight for him because Jacobs can move as well and Jacobs can hit. I think I, I, I think Golovkin batters him. I, I think the Golovkin fight will mirror the second half of the Eubank Jr. fight. I think Canelo probably of a similar ilk. Um, and then you're looking at Big Charlo coming up. He could also cause some trouble. So I think Billy Joe's competitive in those fights. I don't think he is head and shoulders above any of those guys. Uh, before before we saw his return and this improvement, you would have whoa, said whoa, the whoa, same. Whoa. You said that with a, with a bit of cynicism. This his, improvement. His improvement. No, it's it's more the fact that I. He's I in great shape. I would have thought that. Your predictions for those those hypothetical fights would have been the same anyway. So has he improved that much? Any anyway? I don't think. Well, Billy Joe's shown us what we knew was in there. I don't think he's shown us anything new. Like that's how. Look, Billy Joe was one of our better amateurs, right? And if he had had Dom Ingle and, and the magical black bag, then he'd have probably been a gold medalist at the Olympics. You know, and that's worth considering. So I think Billy Joe is just kind of growing into himself at the moment, you know, with a little help from his friends, which is nice. Uh, Always good to have support. Agreed. You know, nothing like singing in a car with fucking Kid Galahad and oh, Kelbrook. Oh, Jesus Christ. I saw that video. You pair of dicks. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you? And, went, and Kel jumped up and went, where? where? <laughs> um, Save some for me, Martin. <laughs> What are you doing down there, Kel? Oh, I've, I've dropped a ten-pound note, and then I found it, and I need to look oh. for it again and again and again. Fuck! Full free, full free, Liverpool, Man City. Now, clearly, oh, this commentary dear. is going to be outdated by the time the pod comes yeah, out. But yeah. fuck, we've got three minutes to go. I had to turn the TV back on. 
because we had to see this. <laughs> Just <laughs> that to was boost proper, our professionalism. Proper wet as well. Look at that. Where's Van Dyke? Van Dyke's made a difference. 75 mil uh, for that. He's not playing. Why? Why? He's, he's injured. injured. 75 mil and he's injured. You're yeah. not allowed to be injured if you cost 75 million, it turns <laughs> out. Yeah, bloody right. <laughs> uh, Babs asked which member of AJ Boxing will Hearn delegate to f- on fight night to tell Joe Cordina that his scheduled sixth round has been scrapped due to international TV and Sweet Caroline conference? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Freddie Cunningham, I feel for Joe Cordina. He might be one of the unluckiest men in boxing because... If you go back to, just go back to 2012, right? And Cordina, by rights, could have boxed for GB. But then you look at who was next to him. Like, you got Josh Taylor on one side, and you got Sam Maxwell on the other side. And you're like, mate, any other generation, you're walking it to the Olympics. No drama. And now look at his career, stop, start as well. But sometimes you're just an unlucky <clears throat> guy. He's not going anywhere under matchroom. I feel for him. I like watching him, but... Their priorities and their focus have now shifted well away from Joe Cordina. Yeah, and AJ's basically said, you need to look after my people. Doesn't matter if it's in Cardiff and the only Welsh person you've got is Joe Cordina. That lad gets fuck all. AJ's just said, a goalie sounds Welsh, Eddie. <laughs> he got a mean Welsh accent, Eddie. Lauren, Lawrence. See that? Lawrence. <laughs> like, like Byron. Um, JD Evans finally we get to uh, our final set of questions which are all Fury related are they? Peter um, no JD I'm not answering JD Evans um, asks interested to hear your thoughts on the Fury slash Warren partnership and how it might affect things with a possible future Joshua f- uh, Joshua fight but I guess you were probably going to cover that anyway See, it's what we said earlier about Tyson says he's coming to get his uh, his license back and Frank Warren was apparently representing him. It doesn't specify that that is going to be a promotional deal going forwards, although you'd suspect it would be, because why else would they be involved? Um, and if it is, then obviously that's a massive hurdle in the way of an anti-Joshua fight. But you have to suspect that money would overcome everything else. And that, that fight will be made. Yeah, right? and so like there may not be many fights that are going to get made between Warren and Hearn over the next 12 months, but if that was on the table, egos would be put to one side for everybody's benefit. Because I'm sure that Fury isn't going to sign with Warren and not have some clause in there saying that when it comes to a Joshua fight, I get to take it. Uh, Sorry, you guys are now watching it, aren't you? A minute left. Um... Kevin De Bruyne stepping up for a free kick. 4-3. De Bruyne whips in. Oh. oh side netting. Just Great wide. stuff. Aguero! <laughs> nah, not tonight, my friend. <laughs> Do you believe Tyson's ambitions of regaining his titles are real? And uh, the more and more we hear of him wanting to fight Joshua straight away, the more I believe he is trying for a quick money grab then back to retirement. Can you please discuss this last this week? This kind of came up last week. Uh, be interesting to hear your thoughts on it, really. what Do, do you think it's legit that he thinks that he can come in and win or is he just looking for that quick money? I've never met a boxer that doesn't think he can win a fight. Like how mad that is. Um, there's one recently, Gamal Yafai was scheduled to fight somebody and that's somebody I was chatting to who was so confident he'd beat him, but he wouldn't. Like I'm not being disrespectful to that person, but they wouldn't. And that fight never got made in the end for various reasons. Um, I've never met a boxer that doesn't believe wholeheartedly that they can go in there on their day and do a job. So Tyson would, of course, believe that he can go in there. He'd have seen that he doesn't rate Joshua as highly as, you know, all these Sky Sports fans. 
Um, and he'd have seen flaws and weaknesses. But on the other hand, I completely understand why people would say this looks like a money grab because it would be huge paying. Like, there's no doubt about it whatsoever. And the risk is if he comes back and has one or two warm-up fights and he's not the Tyson Fury of old and he gets beat, then that Joshua fight becomes irrelevant for a long time then. You also, um, you, you were the one that said when we were talking about whether he was going to come back or not, you went, he'll come back. When the money runs out, he'll come back. Yeah. So on that basis, it could be, viewed cynically, it could easily be one of those, oh, look, I'll just get the most I can for the minimum amount of effort, which would... Right, a Joshua fight straight away would be less effort than two warm-up fights and, it, and then a Joshua And it fight. works for Joshua. Like, if I'm going to fight Tyson Fury, I want to fight him on day one. I don't want to fight him on day 365. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I think more reasonable heads will prevail in Tyson's corner. And those, you know, guys like Macklin will just go, look, right? The bottom line is you can't fight him now. No one gives a shit about the fight now because you haven't done anything to go, oh, he's a threat. So you're going to need two or three fights. Like, I mean, I Joshua's got Parker in a unification. I imagine someone's going to call a mandatory for some point this year anyway. So there are probably no slots for the fight to happen. So Fury's just making noise to draw attention to himself. And that's all he does every time Joshua gets a fight anyway. Like, I'm so bored of Tyson Fury at the moment. It's pissing me off. Uh, finally, Senor Tasty asks, discuss the hashtag Mystic Mick prediction. Uh, Tyson Fury come back on the Warrington Selby undercard at Elland Road. Seems perfectly plausible, really. Like, it doesn't need to come back headlining his own show because, let's be honest, he was never a big ticket seller in the UK anyway. And so he doesn't need to come back headlining his own show. He should come back something like at Ellen Road, boost the ticket sales there because as popular as Josh Warrington is, he doesn't sell out that football stadium. I fail to believe he would. Um, add Tyson Fury there. Adds that level of intrigue. I can see that happening. And when's that? Uh, I don't know, sometime in the summer, um, out of football season, obviously. I don't care because I don't give a fuck about a fight. <laughs> I don't like Josh Warrington to watch him. It's, it's painful. Uh, any other business? I wanted to give a shout out. Like, we don't often do it, but say, like, Matchroom have fucking smashed it. First quarter of this year, they've done a brilliant job of getting, like, bouts lined up. So you've got Chamberlain Akoli, you've got the return of Khan. You've got um, Kel Brook. You've got a missing one in I. Hey um, Bellew. <clears throat> hey um, white just white, uh, white brown. You've got Scott Quigg versus Valdez yes. over in America. Um, like that lineup, and now Joshua Parker as well, obviously. Like that lineup for the first quarter of well, as it goes into first third. I suppose you're going to include Hey Bellew, but just for the start of 2018, like. They've done a brilliant job of doing that. And a lot of it's free to air as well. So I know we sometimes get criticised for not always finding the positives in things. But they've done a brilliant job with it. As much as we can criticise Hearn for some of his antics and the fact that he's a parasite, um, <laughs> he can also, you know, as a, a matchroom as a promotional body, can put on fantastic... And it's all done in January. And we're looking at Frank going, all right, mate. Exactly that. What's exactly your Exactly that. Um, you're asking me when's uh, Warrington Selby. They haven't really announced it. I'm not really sure, although it is meant to be happening. Um, what else have we got? Frampton, Donaire. I'm not really sure what else there is. There's this Untouchables card. where that it. I rang up to cancel Bok Nation the other day. <laughs> and um, 
as I did it, you know how somebody on the end of a phone tries to give you the spiel of like, oh, but if you do that, you're going to be missing out on the Untouchables card on whatever date they've got written down in front of them. Uh, and, oh, that's got um, Anthony Yard on it. I'm like, so Anthony Yard is their selling point over Daniel Dubois, somebody that rings up Box Nation to cancel. I thought that was an interesting point, really. Um, but yeah, you're all looking at Frank saying, what are you doing? So you've got this Untouchables card where you've got Skeet, you've got Dubois, you've got Yard. None of them have got opponents lined up that we know of. Um, the one that we hear rumoured is fucking awful. So what is Frank doing in response to the Eddie Hearn stuff? Like, I'd be worried for where they're going at the moment. We're told there's going to be big announcements, but that big announcement's going to be Selby Warrington, and we're all going to go, oh, well, at least he's out in the open now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if your wife was cheating on you, at least if you knew about it, it's different to when she comes and tells you, and you go, oh, we can all discuss that now. Shit it is. That's how shit Selby Warrington's going to be. It's the equivalent to my wife cheating on me. <laughs> Oh, what a strange analogy there. <laughs> it's been a long time that we've been recording this. <laughs> yeah, which brings us, hopefully, to the end. I say that. I like you're shitting it, aren't you? Like, We're waiting. What's, he, what's he got to say? But you know, oh. I know it comes in eventually. Whatever I say, bang. That's what Kel oh, says. I just wanted to say. That's what Kel- <laughs> no, no, to be honest, to be honest, not much. Um, just, just, like, just from what Martin said. The great thing about all of this boxing happening is actually the fact that you're fucked if you're ever going to catch most of it. So, so Martin's talking about the stuff Hearns and the stuff Warren's doing, but he's at your call two weekends in a row in March. Possibly um, three. Possibly three. We're at Groves Eubank for sure, so we're probably going to miss someone's show somewhere. Because I'm looking at it and I'm like, Mo Pryor's got a show. Uh, Mickey Hellier's got a show somewhere. You know, Steve will have a show. And you think to yourself... Jesus, like, like we we all talk about how boxing's booming, but people are losing in this. Yeah, there are a lot of fighters who are losing. Like, you know, if you're going to a Cody Chamberlain, you're not going to another event somewhere else. Or if you're going to the the Kell Brook show, you're not going to an event elsewhere. So <laughs> there there has to be some kind of common sense in the calendar. I think Frank Warren alluded to it, where he's like, "This is absolute madness. The board have to do something." And I think the board have to because you're looking at the, the upcoming thing and you're like, Jesus Christ, man. As if the board are going to do anything. I'll tell you yeah. why. Because every single one of these shows will be paying into, into the board. Yeah. It's not in their interest to stop shows going ahead. But as boxers and ticket sellers, th- this is an idea. We didn't even I touch on the Hay show. Yeah. Like you've got a Goodwin show on the same night as an MTK show down in London. Like If you think there are going to be, I don't know, say 20 boxers in total, like home corner boxers taking part on those two shows... Most of these lads train roughly out of the same areas, the same gyms. They're probably going to have crossover in their circles of friends. You try selling tickets to all of them at once. It's going to be can't. difficult. It's difficult. You know, and, and then, you know, then you've got your own individual and familial commitments as well. And you're like, geez, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. But I'll tell you what, though. The reason some of this is happening, why we're getting so much squeezed in, is because of the World Cup. You can't run events particularly well during the World Cup, um, so you have to open. You have to close that window during the World Cup period. But generally, no one really boxes in June. June, July it stops in August traditionally. Um, you can have June, July, like middle of July, will cut off. But I say the fact that there's a World Cup this year means that people are squeezing their dates in around that, as well as the August cut off. It, it is, and it's a shame, but but. 
on the upside is giving debuts to a lot of interesting characters. Um, one of whom is a lady called Sherelle Brown. And you just want to say good luck to her. Uh, you know, stalwart of the amateur scene. So she's turning over now. So good luck to her and her endeavors. Uh, you know, that's generally it. One thing I do want to say, I want to close off now. We need all of you. We are going to do another show, another live show. <laughs> if I can find somewhere. <laughs> we will find a venue. We need you guys to fill the venue. Like, it, all the people who were there tweet whether you thought it was a good experience or not. It probably means we'll probably have to double capacity and hopefully make it a more involved and more engaging experience. And, you know, Andy's nervously rubbing his legs. No, I'm thinking he, we're going to go for a new camp, aren't we? 120,000. I just want sure. the O2. No, no, seriously. <laughs> I, I, I want the O2. I don't the think toilets. <laughs> Should we fill them? Well, well Kel will fill them, won't he? Get all me mats in there. Get all me mats. All me mats. But yeah, I've not been on since we uh, returned. So, you know, just echoing the thoughts of you guys last week. Like, Thank you to everyone that turned up. Thank you to everyone that's engaged about it since. Hopefully you all had a fantastic time. We are going to look at doing another one. Um, probably looking at June time-ish. So we've got a long enough lead time to book it. Because there's not a World Cup in June. <laughs> um, yeah, so looking at some time around there, but it's date dependent, it's venue dependent. But um, yeah, fantastic. Thank you to everyone that turned up um, December 18th last year. Um, and thank you to all those that are leaving us iTunes reviews. If you're listening to this, you're right at the end now. When you finish, go to iTunes, leave us a review because I like reading them. Uh, I think we're up to about 34 at the moment. I want to be 50 by the end of January. That'd you, be brilliant. I, I, yeah, if I'm the same, I've listened. I listen to podcasts all the time, and I don't leave reviews no. traditionally. Um, but I do occasionally. I sort of summon the I don't know what you'd get, what you'd call it, but just the botheredness to, to actually to actually do it. So please, this week, come on, it's January. Give us a lift. And leave us some reviews because also it boosts us in the charts and leads to more listeners. And don't forget to share. You know, don't keep these secrets to yourselves, guys. Man, you you got to share it. You know, because when you share it and you create a wider platform, what it means is we can hold more people to account because they will dread being in this <laughs> podcast. You know, we don't want to be too niche because then you know everyone gets what we're trying to do here. But one of the things I think a good podcast does, and I th you know. Bo the whole Boxhide incident reminded me of this. One of the good, one of the things a podcast like ours does, I think, is it points out the absurdities and a lot of the stuff that happens in the sport of boxing. I'm never going to say we hold people to account. That's not our job. We just point out the absurdities and we ask the questions that you guys are asking. And we just give an alternative slant on some of the BS that you're fed. And when things have done well, we'll tell you that too. That's what, that's the power of our podcast. We're not, we're not going to have 50 superstar guests. We're not going to have 100 world champions. Um, I'm not going to tell you about my friendship with Anthony Yard. Nothing like that. We're just going to go through <laughs> the week in boxing and we're going to not going to buy 10,000 followers. Because let's be brutally honest, right? And I was talking to... I was talking to Brooke Streetfield about this in the week. I'm bored of interviews. Much like Andy's bored right now with his head in... You know, my in, spirit is broken at this point. In, in full Kelbrook, if you're posture. still listening, then well done. I mean, yeah. well done. It's probably a two part of this one, but no, <laughs> seriously. One of the things I did say is like, just 
I want fifty percent of the interviews we had in twenty seventeen, right? Half the half the output, double the quality, please, because I can't read everything, I can't listen to everything, and I just I want someone to go look. I want to do one of these a month, and when I do them, you're going to learn something you didn't learn about this person. That's it. That's my only ask of the boxing universe today. Are we done? We're done. Unless you've got any more stuff to no, talk about. No. I'm empty. Right. Good. Thank you very much for listening. Get in touch on Twitter at No Age Boxing UK at the Seven Wolves oh, at No Age. You're Pod not Fiber. done yet. <laughs> you're always holding this podcast up, aren't you? <laughs> Just want to say a quick shout out to Yester Yesternov of uh, Kazakhstan and the amateurs. You're still going. That's the sort of shit this? he comes out with. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! Every end of every Why podcast. Why are you opening this door at the end? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, yeah, my my mate Bobby Jarson, he's just started. I love the man, that, the, the man that's ranting about the rants. Right, anyway. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, get in touch with your questions, etc., etc. Bye. Bye. Bye.